I'm going to read this for you guys as you follow along in here in Luke 7, 18 through 35. The disciples of John reported all these things to him. And John, calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to the Lord, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And when the men had come to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And in that hour, he, we're talking about Jesus, healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits, and on many who were blind he bestowed sight. And he answered them, Go tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. When John's messengers had gone, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who are dressed in splendid clothing and live in luxury are in king's courts. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. I tell you, among those born of women, none is greater than John. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. When all the people heard this, and the tax collectors too, they declared God just, having been baptized with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected the purpose of God for themselves, not having been baptized by him. To what then shall I, shall I compare the people of this generation, and what are they like? They're like children sitting in a marketplace and calling to one another. We played a, a flute for you, and you did not dance. We sang a dirge, and you did not weep. For John the Baptist has come eating no bread and drinking no wine, and you say he has a demon. But the Son of Man has come eating and drinking, and you say, Look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by all her children. So in reading and preparing for this week, um, something stuck out to me here, and I'd like to kind of have some of what we're going to talk about this morning framed around this idea of how I still haven't found what I'm looking for. That sound familiar to any children of the 80s in here? Yeah, anyone? Yeah, they, that sounds a little familiar. Um, confession, I am, a, I am a huge U2 fan. Okay, U2, if you don't know about it, it's, I'm, uh, it's, it's, it is a band from the 1980s. Um, I, I think the greatest rock band that's ever existed. You can argue against that, and that's fine. Uh, you're wrong, but you can argue against it. Um, and uh, it's only been a matter of time. I, I, for those who know me well, probably like, knew that it was a matter of time before I was going to bring in some sort of U2 reference into a sermon. I mean, it was like... It's been building up for a while now. Um, <laughs> and to be honest, like, two things. One, um, U2 is made up of, of a bunch of uh, guys, four guys, Adam, Larry, um, Bono, who is Paul Houston, and The Edge, um, who is uh, uh, Dave Evans is his name. There you go. Any, any trivia that you want to know about U2 later, come up to me and ask me. I'll tell you all about it. Um, but these, these four guys have, um, have grown up in different religious situations, churches, primarily Christian churches, and a lot of what, uh, what Bono writes, what, what the band uh, sings about, um, has 
influence in, in Christianity. You look at their song 40 uh, that was on the war album. That was about Psalm 40. You look at uh, songs that were not necessarily, they have a song called Yahweh on one of their more recent albums uh, that talks about God. They have a song called Grace that talks about grace um, that moves outside of karma. You know, they, they have a lot of their things that are very um, influenced by Scripture. They also have songs that are written from the point of Judas. They have songs that are written from the point of of, uh, of actually what's thought to be King Herod and their song Salome, which is not a very uh, popular, like it's not a very well-known song, but uh, the, the one of the people that we'll talk about today, uh, the one who was doing this kind of um, seductive dance for King Herod, her name was Salome. So uh, lots of little interesting tidbits and things that are written by you two. And um, so you, you, for those who know me, you've probably been waiting for this one to happen. Uh, what's funny is like, I didn't really even try with this. I wasn't going like, okay, I'm up on the 14th, and I can't wait. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna roll through the entire discography of you two and find something. I'm sure we can kind of squeeze in and make this work. Um, and that's, I promise, that's really not what happened. I like take, I'm please take my word for it. It's not what happened. But I came across uh, one of the points here in our scripture where it said this morning, um, "Shall we look for another?" And then I kind of, it just hit me. And it's probably because I can sing the entire song right here without, without having to have lyrics. I know it by heart. Um, like some of that was just kind of rolling in my head. As soon as I heard um, these guys say, are you who we've been looking for? And as we read further, the Pharisees also were still looking for someone else. Right? This Jesus that we, that we are going to talk about this morning isn't the person that they were looking for either. He still hadn't found what they'd been looking for. And so we're going to get there. I actually found a way, um, found some of the, the lyrics online. I saw them written, so I was like, okay, I'm not, you know, don't take my word for it. I could have been singing the wrong lyrics the entire time, right? Anybody do that, like sing songs and get the wrong lyrics? Never, never. Um, yeah, we've all been there, yeah. We've been there. So I went and got the lyrics this morning, and we'll talk about that a little bit later uh, in, in the morning. But, you know, we, we're going to talk about, is this Jesus the one that we're looking for? And then what are we looking for in Jesus? Whether we realize it or not, we do on like a daily basis, on a moment-to-moment basis. Even, even me, I, um, there are moments where uh, my actions reflect doubt in who he is and what he's done for me. And the way that he is, uh, he is all that I need, right? So we can look at stories today like this with John and with the Pharisees and point a finger at them and say, like, how could this be? This is, this is the Christ, this is the Messiah living in and among them, and they doubt who he is. They doubt his, his place in the Godhead. They don't see him as the Son of God, Right? So we can, we can kind of point a, a finger at them, but like, I, I point all those fingers right back at me because I have those moments on an, a regular basis where my actions are not lining up with my beliefs, and I have these, these moments of doubt. And sometimes they become longer than moments, right, that I take my eyes off the cross and off of who Jesus is. And as we get into it this morning, uh, the first kind of character that we're seeing 
is John. And it's been a little while since we've talked about John. Um, for one, we, we took some time off from Luke, right? We were studying membership. We talked about what it means to be a member here at Redemption Hill. Um, so we've just not been in Luke fairly recently. But it's been a while since we've heard from John. We, when we first started Luke, way back when, can you guys been, believe it's like it's been October of last year, I think, since we started Luke, around that time? Um, I went back and looked at when uh, we talked about Luke first, and it was the Sunday before Thanksgiving. And um, or talked about John in Luke. So when we first were, were talking about John and understanding who he is, uh, it was in Luke 1. 76. And it says here, and you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord and prepare his ways to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. So we're looking at John here from the beginning of Luke and we see John as this one who will go before the Lord and prepare his ways. And John was born to a pair of seniors. And like we're talking about old, like old folks. When at the time that, that John's mother Elizabeth became pregnant with him, uh, she was barren and had been barren for a while. And it was, it was miraculous for her to be with child. Um, even... Uh, just kind of a uh, like completely unexpected in their culture for someone so old to have a child, right? So it was it was a miraculous birth. He he was the he is the cousin to Jesus. Uh, so we're looking at that too this morning, um, and he was uh, born before Jesus. So as we're looking at who uh, Luke is today in our scripture, I thought it was important for us to go back and take a look at. Uh, who Luke is, be reminded of, I'm sorry, I keep saying uh, Luke, who John is, John the Baptist is. Um, so we go back here to Luke. And in Luke 3, going back just a little bit further here, it says, uh, Luke 3, verse 2, the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. And he went into all the region of Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled and every mountain and every hill shall be made low and the crooked shall become straight and all the rough places shall become level ways and all the flesh shall see the salvation of God. So we're kind of seeing this right now in Luke 3, 2, um, this, this ministry of of John the Baptist and, and him going into all the regions of, of Jordan. And he's in, the, he's in the wilderness. So we're talking about not the, the city and the populated areas, but he's, he's in the wilderness doing this work. And um, the, the scripture tells us that he's living a rather natural lifestyle in the wilderness. Natural by what we would call uh, today, maybe. He's out there eating locusts and honey. Anybody ever had an, a locust? Anybody? Anybody? No, David is probably eating something similar to a locust while camping, um, but n not, not the typical diet that we'd be used to of locusts and honey. Um, you know, some of the folks in the room might uh, call folks like that crunchy these days, you know, all natural. Uh, this, is, this is who we're, we're talking about this morning, this, this person of John. He is, um, 
He's a no-frills kind of guy, not the guy that goes and has to eat at the Ruth's Chris and um, some of the more uh, uh, defined palates of the day. He's, he's a very natural guy, um, and he's living a very natural lifestyle, the kind of lifestyle that some might even uh, assume that he'd be crazy, demon-possessed, not normal. Yet somehow he's still attracting a crowd, Right? He's still um, having people surrounding him because of this amazing message that he had been given. And people are coming around John the Baptist, and they want to hear uh, what, he's, what he's saying. And we, we pick up in Luke 3.15, where we, where we get some of what John has been saying. And it says, as the people were in expectation and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Christ John answered them all, saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear the threshing floor and to gather the wheat into the barn, but the chaff will burn with unquenchable fire. So there are people who thought at the time that that John coming and proclaiming this message that he was the Christ. And so just kind of a little footnote here, I guess, just to make sure we're all on the same page. Christ is not Jesus's last name. Like it's, it's a title for Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah. Um, that was a title for him. So when we, when we read that in scripture, just want to make sure we're all on the same page uh, there. But people thought possibly John could be the one that they'd all been waiting for, the person that they'd all been searching for, looking for. But John says, it's not me. In fact, someone else who's coming is mightier than I, and, and he's, I'm, I'm not even worthy of, of untying his shoes. And he's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire while I'm baptizing you with water. And so we have this moment, too, that we talked about where John and Jesus meet, right? They meet and there's this moment of baptism where Jesus says that he wants to be baptized by John to fulfill that prophecy, to affirm to everyone there, including John, that he is the Christ. And we see this moment where Jesus is baptized and the Holy Spirit descends upon him in the form of a dove, which was a sign for him and everyone that Jesus was the one they'd been looking for. God the Father speaks from heaven and publicly recognizes Jesus as his son. Behold, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. There is no doubt that, G- that John the Baptist plays an important role in the gospel narrative. But make no mistake, this gospel narrative is about Jesus. This whole thing that we're talking about this morning, this is all about Jesus. And we use, Scripture uses, God uses people throughout Scripture to tell this story of the Christ, the one that we've all been looking for. And so, as we pick up the story this morning in Luke 7... We see that John is in jail. Some even think that it's a dungeon, so we have to have that kind of view in our mind. This is not a place that that, uh, any of us would want to be. And Herod had thrown him there. Herod was in charge. He was the head honcho, and uh, he had the power to to do that, right? He had the power to um, incarcerate anyone and didn't really have to answer to to much of anyone there in that area. And Herod... Um, actually didn't dislike John necessarily. Uh, he was 
kind of fond of him. We, he was intrigued by John, um, and, and maybe prob- probably in some twisted way, um, maybe he amused John. He was someone that he was a little um, unsure about, but he was intrigued by John. Uh, but it was, in fact, Herod's new wife, his, his brother's wife who he had taken, who hated John. And that's the reason why we have John here in prison, because of Herod's new wife. And Herod's new wife didn't like John because she had spoken out, or John had spoken out against her. And Herod's wife hated John. In fact, when we next hear about John, this is also a little spoiler alert in case you uh, jump ahead, but when we look at, into Luke 9, verse 7, the next time we hear about John here in Luke, he's dead. He's been decapitated. He's been beheaded. And all because Herod's new wife's daughter, who is now Herod's daughter, but also his niece, really kind of weird, she is more or less seducing Herod. So the, like, the plot uh, thickens and kind of gets even more disgusting, right? And then he asks her uh, that she could have anything in the kingdom, any, anything she wanted. And she consults with her mother, who hates John, and says, I want John the Baptist's head on a platter. And that's exactly what he does. And he says in there in Luke, Luke uh, 9, verse 7, uh, he's trying to figure out who Jesus is, who is this Jesus that everyone's talking about, because some think that it's John resurrected. Right? Some think that it's John, John's come back to life. And he's, he said, no, uh, it can't be John because I took his head off. Uh, so I don't know who this Jesus is that, that everyone keeps talking about. And so that's a little bit of, about who John is. Catches us up on kind of some context for uh, the person that we're talking about this morning and the person who has these doubts that are brought before Jesus. And it says here in Luke 7, 18, the disciples of John reported all these things to him. And John, calling two of his disciples, sent them to the Lord, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And when the men had come to him, they said, John the Baptist sent us to you, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And these questions that, that, that are being asked, are you the one, but is there another? You know, you can at first blush come to this question that John is asking, and you might be thinking, well, John knows who Jesus is. He baptized him. He's his cousin. He's all the, the miracles that had been happening and taking place. Surely John was aware of these things. So is this a rhetorical question? Like, is it, is it a question that, that John already knows the answer to? What we find through the scripture here and what, what we'll talk about this morning is that it's not a rhetorical question. This question is actually a time when John is having doubts about who Jesus is, mostly because of the place where he is. Mostly it's because of the place where, where John himself is. John is in prison, and he's waiting for the one who will establish a new kingdom and, and bring righteous judgment, right? But that's not the picture of what's happening by John's standards. So they're waiting for, John had been waiting for this Messiah. He, he thought that Jesus was the Christ, but yet he's still in prison, right? His situation is looking pretty bleak. And he probably sees the writing on the wall with Herod that this, this is not going to end well. So he has these, these moments of doubt, wondering, like, is this, are you him? Are you who we've been looking for? Or shall we look for someone else? He's having these moments of doubt. And, you know, honestly, I don't know that any of us could blame John with the, with the 
situation that he's in. And in that moment, John's sitting there, he's wondering if he is actually the Christ that he thought he was. He's doubting because of his circumstances. But we often doubt because of our circumstances too. So it's, it's hard for us to point a finger at John and say, well, O ye of little faith, that we get in those same places on a daily, on a moment-by-moment basis where because of our circumstances, we take our eyes off of who Jesus is and what he's done for us. And we believe that when bad things happen, well, we must have done bad stuff, and when good things happen, we must have done something right. And this pain and trial and persecution, suffering, they're not accurate biblical markers of whether or not we're on the right path. We can't equate our current situation, our current circumstances, with whether our faith is in the right place. I mean, John, let's look at him. He's, he's in prison in, and ends up beheaded. All the apostles were killed. Um, all of these things were happening to the ones who were the closest to Jesus, that were in his inner circle, that were a part of, of developing and, and progressing the local church. They were all there with Jesus. There was no question as to whether they were on the right path or had their faith in the right person. Like they, These folks were, by all standards, on the right path, right? But yet still having to face and deal with so many different hardships. And that has to be something that we understand about the Christian life, is that it's not going to be all uh, lollipops and gumdrops. No one's promising that. And any gospel that does promise that is false. But yet we have this kind of pervasive thought within our culture today that um, if we just have enough faith, that we have to muster up on our own, that things are going to be going well for you. And if things aren't going well for you, well then just, just you don't have enough faith, right? You, you, need to, you need to do something more. You need to pay something more. You're, you're, not, you're, you're missing the mark in some place because this is God's way of holding back from you, right? It's his way of, of kind of punishing you because... Your faith's not big enough. It's not strong enough. And I don't know how anyone can think that when they read about these people in the history of Jesus' church that did not live in mansions and fly $65 million jets. Like, that's not what happened. They were out in the wilderness eating bugs and honey. You know how hard it is to get honey? Like, it comes from bees. Anybody try to extract any honey from any bees lately? This was, it, it was a hard knock life. This was not the easy way. This was not the best life now. This is not the type of picture that Jesus is painting, Scripture is painting for us this morning. And any pursuit of those things is nothing short of idolatry. We've, we've got to... Um, help each other along with that. We've got to combat that message um, in our churches and in our communities and our lives because it's just too easy for us to swing in that direction. It's too easy for us to think in, in the world's economies and not in God's economy. The reason that karma sounds so right to us is because we made it up. Like, <laughs> that's why it sounds right to us. Oh, so, yeah, yeah, well, if I do good things, then good things will happen to me. 
And a lot of that is, it's just the world's economy, right? As human beings, we think about that because we even, like it or not, and I, I do this. I, I scratch your back, you scratch mine. It becomes this kind of like back and forth where it's a rewards-based system. And if you put enough in my bucket, then I'll put some in your bucket. And I mean, all of those things, like that feels right to us. It feels just to us. But it's not God's economy, right? In God's economy, through grace, it's just that. It's that you, could, you can't do enough. You can't possibly be good enough, have enough good works to justify being in God's family. That shouldn't discourage us. That should encourage us in Christ, right? It should break us, but it shouldn't discourage us. Because for those who, who call upon Jesus as Lord... We find great hope in that. We find great faith in that. And when we have those moments of, of doubt, we should respond in the same way that John responded, by taking it to Jesus, not by trying to come up with our own answers, our own ways of, of figuring these things out. And we need to take it to him and let him provide the answers. Get there by the help of the Holy Spirit. So Jesus answers John. In verse 21, it says, In that hour he healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits, and on many who were blind he bestowed sight. And he answered them, the folks who were the messengers from, from John, Go tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, the poor have good news preached to them, and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. You see, Jesus could have just said, hey, you know what I've been doing. And, and, I, and I'll sit down and tell you like everything that, that's been going on, right? But before he gives an explanation, which we'll talk about and unpack a little bit in a minute, it says, in that hour where they came to him, he healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil, and evil spirits. And on many who were blind, he bestowed sight. So it's almost like when they hear this question, Jesus goes, this is what I'm doing. And he gets to work. And as he gets to work and goes through performing these things, amazing miracles, he then answers them. Because now what they've done is these two guys that they've sent to Jesus have not just heard it from him, they've also seen it. They've witnessed it. Right? And that was, that was vitally important in their day for witnesses like this. They put a lot of stock in that, that when you have multiple witnesses, more than one, right, that, that the story is like, it's, it's right, it's solidified, that you've got these two differing people who have seen and experienced the, the exact same thing, they could go back and, and tell, right, and that's like, like so that's a, in, in today's standard of what we do say in our course, like the, it's a cooperating witness, right, you have somebody else who is saying like, what he said was true, and I saw the same thing in the same way. That's what they were able to experience. So he could have just said, hey, take my word for it. But he said he first acted and then spoke to them and said what he had been doing. And even what he said he had been doing was so important to them because they were fulfillment of Old Testament prophecies about the Messiah. And they were very familiar with 
what Jesus was saying. He was pretty much picking up the same text about what was to come when the Messiah was to show up on the scene. The blind receiving their sight, the lame walking, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up. You see, these things, these displays of power through the Holy Spirit, they revealed Jesus' identity. But they don't give him his identity. And we'd have to be careful, too, in the same way that the, the actions that we have, the good works that we do, they don't make up who we are. They reveal who we are. Right? Because then if we, if we put our stock and put our faith in the, the actions that we do and the things that we do as our identity, then when we stop doing those things, we lose our identity. Right? Or if we don't do those things well, then our identity is somehow less than. We aren't defined by our actions. And even that is very counterculture. We are defined by Jesus. We're defined by who he is. As believers, we... We take on a new identity. We become a new creation, not one that is, is made up and, and kind of made, um, made to look better or is a better version of who we were before, but we become a new creation because we aren't who we were. We become made new in Christ, and it's not by anything that we've done. It's not by any actions that we've taken. And so in verses 24 through 28, uh, Jesus uh, sets the record straight on who John is. These crowds are still gathered around Jesus, and Jesus starts to tell them about who John is. And he says, John is a prophet, and he's the one that was foretold in Isaiah to be the one who prepares the way and announces the coming Messiah. He's even like the best guy ever. Like, he is an amazing guy, the best born of woman. Right? But he is in the kingdom says that he's the least in the kingdom. But the point Jesus is trying to make is that in the kingdom, there's this, there's this level of equality that we get in being part of God's family. That John, um, for one, to clear up any confusion, is not the Messiah. He's the one who comes to prepare the way for him. All right. So that's another point they were trying to make here is that he's He's not, um, he's not really better than anyone else that's here because then we can, we can have a tendency of doing that within our churches today, right? We can say, well, you know, because, because he's the teacher, because he's in this position, because he's carrying out this sort of thing or doing this sort of duty, well, he must be, he must be closer to Christ than I am. He must be closer to God. He's probably, like, you know, further up his list and further, like, just on better standings and standards with God, right? But that's not God's economy. God's economy doesn't tell us that when we, when we do more and when we achieve more and when we study more, that he loves us more. We get to have greater joy and greater benefit by being closer to him. That's, that's for our joy, and it's all for his glory. And then we look a little further here, and it says, in verse 35, where Jesus is, is lecturing that generation, particularly the Pharisees, for acting like unsatisfied children. This Jesus that, that, is, that is talking right now to them is not the person that they're looking for. He's not the Messiah. He's not the Christ that the Pharisees had anticipated. And they really can't win. 
right? So Jesus is saying here that, you know, John hung out in the wilderness and ate a steady diet of bugs and honey, and he said people were saying that he had a demon, but yet Jesus is kind of the opposite of what John is doing. Jesus is showing up at, at parties. He's on the VIP list. He's, he's getting around and mixing it up and mingling with tax collectors and with sinners, and they're saying that he's a drunkard, and there's just really no winning with the Pharisees. They were looking for someone else to be their king. They doubted him. They denied him. So did the people who were closest to Jesus in different ways, but they did. They doubted, and Jesus is, was not surprised by their doubts, no more than he's surprised by our doubts today. It doesn't surprise him. It doesn't, doesn't shock him when we have those doubts. You can see here that this morning John doubted. We know that Peter doubted. And we'll talk about Peter's doubt in just a minute. Thomas, doubtful Thomas, he doubted. What's more important here is what we do with those doubts and bringing those to Jesus just as John did. There's this song that goes, I still haven't found what I'm looking for, that has a lot of these same themes. And the first verse of the song says, I've climbed the highest mountains, I've run through the fields, only to be with you. I've run, I've crawled, I've scaled city walls, only to be with you. But I still haven't found what I'm looking for. As the song starts to end, it says, I believe in kingdom come, then all the colors will bleed into one. But yes, I'm still running. You broke the bonds, you loosed the chains, you carried the cross of my shame. You know I believe it, but I still haven't found what I'm looking for. And like, I identify with that. I see myself in those lyrics that I know I have, this, I have this head knowledge of Jesus, but it just gets disconnected from my heart knowledge of Jesus. Like I know about who he is, and I, ha- I have a strong faith in Jesus and who he is and what he's done. But I have these moments of doubt, and sometimes they don't show up in, in, in like more obvious ways where I turned to Mike or I turned to Daniel, and I said, you know, I'm just not certain about who this Jesus person is. Like, you guys, you guys buy this? Like it doesn't come across that uh, blatantly, right? But it comes across in little small ways throughout my day that I act as though there's not a Savior who has rescued me and has completed the work and has done it all for me, right? And we shouldn't let those moments that we have as believers separate us from God. Those moments that we have where we have that temporary doubt, we need to take those doubts to Jesus. And then we need to repent and turn toward him instead of running away from him. It's in our response. It's what we do with those doubts that matters so much. I, I used to think it would be much easier if I had just seen Jesus. Was anybody else ever think that, like, if I could just see him, it'd make my faith so much stronger. If I could just be at one of his miracles, wouldn't that be amazing to see him at work, to hear one of his sermons? Like, I'd be rock solid. Like, there would be no way that you could ever shake my faith, right? These people were there. John was around. Peter was right by his side. Thomas, one of Jesus' disciples. Like, they were there. They were in that place where, we, where I so many times have said, if I were just in that place, I would have no 
problem with my faith. I would be completely rock solid. But here they are in that same place that I have dreamed about being. And even they're doubting. Even they have those shaky moments. And then we see there in Luke um, 22, 31 through 32, we have this picture of Peter denying Jesus three times. And then Jesus says to him, Simon, Simon, which was his name. Peter was a name that, that Jesus gave to him, which means the rock. And he says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded to sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And you, when once you have turned, strengthen your brothers. We have a picture here of Jesus praying for Peter's faith to be sustained even through sin because we know that it is God is the we know that God is the one who sustains that faith. And in Mark 9:32 a man brings his child with an unclean spirit to Jesus and asks if Jesus can help him. And Jesus tells him that all things are possible for those who believe. And the boy's father replies that he believes but to help with his unbelief. As believers we we should take our doubts, we should take those things to Jesus. I'm going to ask Daniel to, to come on up with, um, with our worship team. I think there's going to be three different ways that we can respond with our unbelief. We can respond in prayer. We can go to him, tell him, Lord, we believe, but help our unbelief. And we can pray for his Holy Spirit. We can pray for his spirit to, to fill us, to remove doubt, and then we can go to his word. We can go in person. I heard someone once say that if you want to hear God, then just read your Bible out loud because this is God's word, right? This is, this is given to us as an amazing gift for us to understand who the Father is. We get the privilege of being able to know who he is and his heart for us through his word. And so we can pray for that. We can be thankful for that. We can go to his word and understand more about who he is. And in those things, too, God will strengthen our faith. So we can go in prayer, we can go in person, and we can go with people, the family, the community of believers that we're surrounded by. It's an amazing privilege that we have to be able to gather together, the freedom that we have to gather together as a family of uh, believers. Now, whether it's on Sunday mornings or it's at a Starbucks over coffee or um, over a meal at someone's house, we could talk about those moments of doubt where we have unbelief, moments where we, um, where we feel like we've just missed the mark for the week, sharing that with one another. And in those times where we find that community, we need to be pointing each other back to the cross. We need to be reminding each other of how perfect Jesus is for us, right? That we don't, in Christ, we don't have to do anything more. We don't have to be good enough to, um, to earn his love or his, his affections for us. That when Jesus died, he died for sin that was past, present, and future. That his, he's not surprised by any of our doubts. 
what we need to do is we need to respond in a way that allows him to work in and through us. And I pray that as we as we grow closer together as a family, as our community of believers uh, grows and strengthens through uh, the time we have to spend with each other, the time we spend um, in God's word on a regular basis, um, that we wouldn't find condemnation or some sort of uh, unbelievable guilt from those moments, but that we would be pointing each other back to Jesus and the way that he has provided for us the sacrifice that he has made for all of us. Let's pray. Father, we we come to you this morning as your children. Lord, as as um, in some ways the, the very children that we read about this morning, those kind of unsatisfied children at times, Lord. We become um, confused, uh, misguided about who you are and what you've done for us. And Father, we thank you for your grace in that. Lord, that your grace, your forgiveness for us, for those who call upon Jesus as Lord, it's, it's never ending. Father, we, um, we want to know you more. Lord, we pray this morning, in this moment, for the Holy Spirit to be working in and among your people here, Lord, to increase our faith. Increase our faith not based on any of our circumstances, Lord, but just on who you are. We want to know you more. We want to see your face, Lord. Father, we love you. We thank you for your son Jesus and his sacrifice for us. We thank you that he died in our place, Lord, paid a price that we could never pay to be a part of your family. And since his name that we pray, amen.